if we want intergenerational wealth for our communities, um, they need an equity share in technology. It's not good enough just to have a paycheck because paychecks stop once you stop working. Welcome to the Twins Talk Tech Leadership Podcast, where we highlight and explore the views of thought leaders and organizations across the tech industry. We're presenting topics on leadership, sales, and trends from our perspective as individuals and, of course, as twins. Welcome to the Twins Talk Tech Leadership. While the goal for equity is often clear, the path for creating this reality is often nebulous clouded with confusion. We're talking today with our special guest, William A. Adams, an award-winning D&I innovator, philanthropist, and tech advisor to some of the industry's top tech thought leaders. He's an advocate for diversity and leveraging technology to build wealth, to create Black equity. He's also the founder of the William A. Adams Group, where his work centers around building and helping organizations unlock the potential to drive meaningful change. William, welcome to Twins Talk It Up. How are you today? I'm great. Thank you for having me on. From time to time, as Dave and I are speaking, uh, William, and also to our audience, we'll let our audience know who's actually asking the question today. We're really uh, excited to have you on. As David said, you have a fascinating journey. You have a fascinating background. And, and most recently, uh, you're really critical and rolling out XML code to many of Microsoft's core products globally, and then really serving as the first technical advisor to the CTO of Microsoft, Kevin Scott. What were some of the areas of your focus while you were serving as a technical advisor to Microsoft, and what are you working on today? That You just spanned like 25 years of history right there in that <laughs> question. Um, I'll go back to the first thing you said, uh, XML. That was like 1998. <laughs> you know, that's how I started at the company. And um, later things came after that. But, uh, but I, I had a career of, of just driving innovative things at Microsoft. Um, and that's how I landed um, in the CTO's office. That was like uh, 2017, I think. Um, Kevin Scott uh, came in through the acquisition of LinkedIn. And he was named CTO, and I was my name was probably picked out of a hat of you know recommended people, and I said, "Okay, William, there you go, go help that guy." And uh, the role of the, the technical advisor is is not strictly defined, and and we help define the role, you know, as we built that group. Um, and I focus on things like identity. I focus on what we call data dignity, which is. Um, now it's becoming important because we're doing AI like chat GPT. It's like, well, where did that data come from? Who owns that? And are you going to pay him for that? You know, so I worked on that kind of stuff way back then. Um, and the role is in general is to, um, I, I like to say it's like the Supreme Court's, um, the justices clerks. They go out and do all the reading and come up with opinions and present it to the justice and the justices make their rulings. Um, that's oftentimes what you're doing when you're advising someone. You're you're doing a lot of homework and you're trying to synthesize some sort of an opinion that you can say, well, you know, here's here's what I think. And, and then they mull it and they do whatever they do. Um, so I, I focused on things like that. I also focused on um, the uh, the space of DE&I, actually. 
uh, even before I got to the CTO's office, I started this program called LEAP, which is about hiring women and minorities. And while I was in that office, we helped make that a company-wide thing. Uh, so everything from hardcore tech um, to how do we hire women and minorities, uh, that's what I did in that office. That's awesome, William. This is Dave, and I appreciate what you shared, and you're being very modest. I'm sure your name was not just pulled out randomly from a hat. Yeah, and <laughs> he, he knew of your work. He heard about your work, and I'm sure that's why, through his wisdom, he brought you in to serve that role. Uh, William, I've heard through other programs, and I actually have heard you coin this phrase, techquity. Mm-hmm. Talk about what techquity means and where this idea or concept came from and why does it go beyond just the recognition of a lack of equity in tech? Yeah, so techquity was me just trying to mull over the last couple of years, actually. Uh, what do we do with this? You know, I've had this job. I've had a career. I've, I've gained equity in technology, meaning I have stock in, in Microsoft and various other tech companies. And that generates wealth because tech has been the rising uh, tide in our in the world over the last 20, 30 years, right? All the billionaires um, in the top 10, you know, half of them are at least uh, tech related. So I recognize that, okay, if we want intergenerational wealth for our communities, um, they need an equity share in technology. It's not good enough just to have a paycheck because paychecks stop once you stop working. So that doesn't generate intergenerational wealth, right? Uh, so you need equity. You need a share of that stock. You need a company of your own where you own the patents. You know, you need a company that gets acquired by other tech companies. That's what equity is. So I'm just recognizing that technology and equity in technology is the rising tide that lifts our boats. And if you don't have a share of that equity, uh, you're not in the boat <laughs> and you drown as the tide rises. Uh, the wealth gap grows and you're left behind. So techquity is just a single word I, was try- I came up with to say, how can I convey to people what I'm talking about? You need equity in technology. So techquity, that's, that's it. William, this is David again. And thank you for going into more depth about what techquity is. You had a post on Twitter, and, and we're connected there. We go back and forth on Twitter oftentimes. You said something on one of your recent posts. There is no equity without ownership and technology companies, especially for Blacks and other underrepresented groups, or underrepresented groups that you've kind of highlighted earlier. It's not enough to, to think about having a paycheck. you got to be on that boat. You've got to have right. something that builds generational wealth. It's right. what you've all also stated before that techquity doesn't mean you own a phone. It means you own a part of the company or the company that makes that phone. That's right. So can you talk about this phrase that you've also stated? And this is just me just chiming off of how I, uh, I've really loved seeing the content you put out. You put out this, this statement that we need to own the table to yeah. own the wealth. Talk about yeah. that real quick. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, it's common phraseology for people to say, I, you want to get a seat at the table. It's like a seat at the table. You got to realize that that table, that meal has already been served, eaten, and they're clearing the plates. (laughs) Getting a seat at the table, all you're there to do is clean the table. (laughs) You need to create a new table, (laughs) right? It's like, you know, you don't want to show up and say, do fries come with that shake? It's like, no, this is all gone. So I'm just saying, stop chasing taillights. 
right? You don't you don't get a leg up in in tech by uh, doing stuff that was popular twenty years ago, right? You're the cleanup crew at that point. You need to create a new direction, and this is very common for uh, folks in my tribe, the Black community, is to we're always uh, looking for that hand to help us up to where we were. It's like no, let's let's uh, we have been creators of um, many things in our history, whether it be music, mathematics, you know, societies. I mean, a lot of stuff was birthed out of Africa. So we need to look forward and decide what we're going to create and create new tables, not look at trying to get at someone else's table, right? That's what I mean by that. It's like, don't look for a seat at someone else's table. But by the time you get that seat, it's no longer worth anything. So we need to create our own tables so that we can create our own seats, <laughs> right? And those tables are in the future, not in the past. This is Danny. It is really amazing to hear that we need to create our own table. And you yeah. brought up a lot about the past. And I don't know why, but I've been studying a lot about uh, Egyptology and just yep. looking at um, the mathematics of yep. how things were created, how things were done thousands and thousands of years, and we still have no clue how they were able to do it. And I, as an engineering student, I always want, it just amazes me when I think about what, what took place many, many years ago before, right. before the, you know, electronics came in place. And these guys were accurately able to predict so much stuff. It is amazing. Yeah. And the fact that you said, you know, create the table, have a piece of the ownership, have a piece of the code, own the code. This is how we're, we're bridging that gap. You're really passionate about technology and you're passionate about building that bridge to help really close the gap between traditional and digital business practices as well. And what I feel is that you have this overwhelming conviction. I can hear it in your voice that you really have a passion. You care. You want to see the technology landscape of leadership change as well. How do you go about helping these organizations create and implement these strategies that ensure that Black talent and minority talent, and even women talent, these talents that have equal access to these resources? How can we help these organizations create this ability to provide this landscape so that they can have equal access to the resources, equal access to opportunities, equal access to have success in this digital space? So I'm not, uh, maybe I'm not technical enough to create my own product. Well, I am. I'm, but maybe I'm someone who's not technical enough to have a product, but I still want to have a seat, but I don't want to just have a seat. I want to be a part of creating things. I want to be yeah. a part where the mill comes out. I'm the one that orchestrated the mill. I'm the one that said where the mill needs to be placed, what components are being placed, what percentage of protein and fiber and, and, yeah. and fruits and vegetables and all that stuff. But how can you help these organizations? Because they still, even though they're come away, they still have a long way to go. So how can you help these organizations um, create this landscape to really provide that access to the Black talent and other talents available today? Yeah, there's that's a big question. Um, I'll try to keep it short. So there's different levels here, right? There's how do I help a Microsoft, right? That's a big organization that could possibly help this journey, right? Now you have to keep in mind that companies are, have a profit motive. They occasionally have a social or cultural 
um, inklings because their shareholders demanded or the winds of the day are such that they should be more diverse or whatever. But they have a profit motive. So the only way you can really help them help us <laughs> is to couch it in terms that go to their bottom line. And I've said before, it's like, well, I have to show you that uh, servicing Black communities, for example, gives you a total addressable market that's bigger. Having engineers in Africa, where there's 1.2 billion people, is probably useful to you in the future because that's the fastest growing population on the planet. So if you can get in there early and have product that is relevant to them, then you're probably going to do good financially. How do you get product that's relevant to them? Well, you're going you're gonna to have to hire some of them because I can tell you a white boy from MIT isn't going to tell you what a farmer from Kenya needs. <laughs> it's just not going to happen. So you need some black folks in Kenya on your staff doing engineering, right? And of course, for a place like Microsoft, and we did that actually. Uh, we did in fact go to Nigeria and Kenya and say, we need some people here. And we now have a few hundred people uh, across those two countries. Um, so you have to, for those companies, you have to say total addressable market. For us smaller companies, you know, I'm a black owned business, let's say, how do I help myself? Well, you have to find your, your niche, you know, your speciality, um, you, you, going to have to really work hard at it. And it's really, like I said before, it's hard to, um, you're not going to find your speciality and you're not going to get paid extra for chasing after something that was interesting 20 years ago. Today, as of today, if I were advising anyone who's trying to be an entrepreneur in tech and they're a minority, I'd say, you need to go learn about AI. You need to go play with chat GPT. You know, you need to figure out the next level up. Um, Right today, this morning, I was writing code in C and C++, you know, doing this um, mapping thing that I'm doing. And I, I tell anyone who will ask, it's like, uh, I use this thing called Copilot, which helps me code. And it's like, we have to do stuff like that. It's an AI that helps you write code. You have to do it like that. We are conversant. We've proven that we know how to drive culture. We, we know how to create philosophy, religion, all this stuff. These skills are gonna be more and more useful as A and I, A, I become more powerful. So we need to leverage that, leverage our specialties uh, and bring them forward in technology, right? It's like, yeah, that's how you gotta do it. For the big orgs, it's like, well, you gotta make a, you gotta make a business case for it. And the checkbox cases don't work. Oh, I gotta hire a hundred blacks, why? I don't know. And when the recession comes, they're out, right? <laughs> So unless you you figured out how to it helps you with your total addressable market is pointless. And for a smaller companies, you have to look at what is the state of technology today and what is it going to be five years from now? Let me get on that, right? Let me not go try to create a data center. That's done. You know, let me go look at how I'm going to leverage AI to get just mundane stuff done, right? Faster than my competitors who aren't doing that. William, this is David, and I want to ask a follow-up to that. You mentioned just even earlier, before you came on the program, you're working on code. Yeah. You mentioned 
how we have to learn to leverage technology and some of the newer technology that's coming out now. And, and right now in your world of consulting, since you've left Microsoft, what are some of the projects you're working on right now? Are you at liberty to share about anything you're working on right now that our listening oh, yeah. audience might be interested in? Yeah, I'll share. And I'll, I'll say it in, in very succinct ways possible. So I'm out to create the Motown of tech. And if anyone familiar with Motown knows that there's this the best journey very- music. Mm. Barry Gordy, back in the 50s, 60s, uh, attracted the best Black music talent in America. Uh, they all, you know, Aretha Franklin, Stevie Wonder, the Jackson Five, you know, they all started in Motown. Um, and he taught them not how to sing, because they were already interesting singers, but how to present themselves, how to be on stage, how to go on tour how to make money off of the music. And they eventually all created their own careers and became big people on their own, right? So tech needs the same thing and that's what I'm focused on. So uh, creating a place where talent that's already kind of out there, like I'm already in tech, um, but they just need some guidance, right? They need a place to go where they can go, I wanna do a startup, but I haven't a clue. And I need a whole set of tech stuff and I don't, I can't build it. I'm only one guy. I need a crew. <laughs> so I need a clue and they need a crew. And that's why I'm going to go to, you know, um, William A. Adams because he's, gonna, he's got stuff. He's got some tech in hand that's future looking. Uh, he's got a network of resources to start the business, the administrator, the bookkeeper, you know, the five devs, all that. Um, so that's what I'm creating is essentially the Motown of tech. And I want to have the same effect, right? Where it's like, it's not for me to get rich. It's so that I can build several companies where we all get rich, (laughs) right? That's the blueprint. That's the plan. This is Danny. When I think about uh, going back to Motown, uh, my father used to play the Motown uh, music from that era on Saturday mornings. And that would get the whole family involved in cleaning the house. And that's yeah. what we did. We just grew up listening to Earth, Wind, and Fire. I mean, you, you can think the Jackson Five, Aretha Franklin. We were we will just jam, yeah. listening to that. And before we knew it, the whole house would be spotless and clean. Yeah. Even to this day, on Saturday mornings. And then we're a little spoiled now. We we have we do have uh, cleaners to clean our house. But on Saturday mornings, I we play music, and we put on the Motown music. And my kids don't understand why. They just know that Grandpa MJ, <laughs> this is his favorite songs. And we get the ha- kids to learn to clean up. And we were clean for a couple of hours until the songs are just, just about over. And then everyone's excited. And we we're on the rest of the day. And we use yeah. it to get our mindset right. And yeah. what you're building is amazing. The, the Motown era type process, b- building a, a, an industry, a practice, a society, a community, bringing the best black talent together. Yep. And creating multiple businesses, multiple generational wealth. And that's really what was missing over the years. When yeah. you think about how the housing society got started, how who was able to get the loans, who were able to live in these certain areas, and how loans were built and uh, written up to where certain people, certain colors were not allowed to get a loan in that area, yeah. couldn't Red live line. in that area. They weren't able to afford the houses in that area. So there's no ability to pass that generational wealth down and not having that generation wealth or having the equity means you couldn't start your own business. Right. So now we look at what you're building as a phenomenal way to not only just build today, it's building generations to come in the future. 
Right. So I'm really excited about that. Now, we used to have this thing called the Black Wall Street and all this other stuff. As you're building this out, William, um, is there going to be a central city, a central area that people are going to start flocking to in order to start building that community up? And I, I say that because I know a lot of great um, uh, African-American leaders that are starting mm -hmm. to move and migrate to North Carolina. Mm -hmm. And I don't know if that's a dream or thoughts, but... Is there a physical location where you see uh, perhaps in the future where uh, the talent is going to start migrating to be part of this uh, uh, technology Motown uh, theory that you're, you're pushing now? Yeah, I think it's, it's a, an organ. I don't personally have that in mind because um, it's the internet, man. <laughs> you know, people are everywhere. And when you think of, uh, like, for example, I've been spending, um, some energies in the U.S. Virgin Islands. So that's off in the Caribbean, right? And there's a lot of Black people out in the Caribbean. There's some 40 million identified Black people across the Caribbean, lots of different countries, but, you know, they're all brought there for, for various reasons uh, from Africa. Uh, so there's, there's a center there. There's lots of Black folks in Africa. Uh, and then, of course, there's the south of the U.S., uh, lots of Black folks in Atlanta is a center of gravity right now for tech uh, for a lot of people and the Carolinas. Uh, but wherever, wherever they go, you know, as long as the, um, the tools are available, I don't think it matters. I think it, it's probably helpful if there's several centers, actually, because all the Black folks in the L.A. area are not going to move to North Carolina. Right. Or the, all the black folks in Oakland are not going to move to North Carolina. And so, you know, it, it's just like everyone didn't move to Silicon Valley. You have to go to where the talent is. And that's the, the way things work today. They're moving to it's Austin North Carolina, now. It's North Carolina, <laughs> you know, whatever. That's that's incredible. You're you're you have um, excellent insight on that, because with the power of the Internet and with the rapid advancement of technology over yeah. the last few years because of the pandemic, more and more individuals and more and more organizations are starting to leverage uh, the remote aspect. And yeah. even more technology has been accelerated faster because of the pandemic. I mean, think about no one really played too much with Zoom back in the day or with Microsoft Teams back in the day. But yeah. now with the Here pandemic, <laughs> it just started spiking, right? I mean, you and kids. I, we're, right yeah. now we're talking over Zoom. Exactly. We didn't have to get in a room together. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Even with the education, I know my children were they uh, uh, did remote learning at yep. the time, and we're starting to see that technology and education it really became prevalent during the yeah. pandemic, where teachers had to get creative. They had to be able to keep kids entertained while they're at home in front of a Chromebook in order to stay engaged. Yeah. And schools have used technology over the years to enhance learning, to enhance the teaching. There's Dreambox, there's all these uh, educational tools out there. But technology has really been close to my heart, and I'd like to leverage it to help my kids understand coding, help my kids understand IT and technology. I even let my, my daughter take apart a computer, a laptop, because I wanted to understand the components of how a computer works. Just, yeah. just because talking to her is one thing, but actually allowing her Get to touch it is another. It. How yeah. do you define education, e equity, when it comes to technology, how do you um, help educate educators on how to leverage technology, actually help build up our children? And when I say our children, I mean all children, but yet more specifically children that are uh, may not be in the right neighborhoods or may not have uh, 
direct access to an individual Chromebooks? How can we leverage technology to help our educators educate our children? Yeah, that's a big one. Um, there's a, uh, I'll, I'll focus on the Caribbean again because I've been doing some work there. Uh, it starts with, I mean, kids, particularly disadvantaged um, uh, in disadvantaged neighborhoods. It starts with very basic stuff. Like, do they even have electricity? Right. Like in the Caribbean, I have an assistant that lives in St. Croix. And she's like, man, the internet was down for four hours this morning. The power has been cut half the day. It's like, I don't care how many computer resources you have. If you can't even charge your laptop, you've got other problems. So some of it is just really basic. Like, okay, you have to have laptops because at least they have batteries instead of desktop machines. And let's make sure there's some battery charging stations and let's get solar panels. And this is true in Africa too, when you go out into rural communities where it's just like, yo, we don't even have running water. You know, what are you talking about this whole computer internet thing? We, we don't even have a electricity. So there's a lot of infrastructure stuff you have to do in some cases, and that can, that can be a daunting task. Um, but besides that, assuming you have internet, it starts with things like, hey, maybe we should do the Lego League robotics program for these kids, because that's really approachable, right? Simple curriculum, kids like playing with Legos, a little bit of programming and they get to see some direct action right um it's doing the, and it doesn't cost a huge amount of money you know uh it's it's the amount of money that someone like me as a philanthropist can say i'll give you a thousand dollars and you can buy a couple of kits and here's a curriculum all you need is your own energy right because all the content's online you don't need someone to give you a handout and hold your hand the whole way it's like just do it uh, and I think another thing, again, focusing on kids, is meeting them where they're at. Mm. You know, it's like, again, with the Caribbean, they like flying drones, right? Like a lot of young people, I do, you know, it's like those uh, helicopters, right? They like flying those, like, huh, okay. How about we do a little application, a little mapping application? Fly that drone over the island a few times. We'll gather a bunch of pictures. I'll show you how to throw it into an app. And now we're doing mapping of your local environment and you did it. And along the way, I taught you words like Mercator projections, 3D modeling, blah, blah, blah. You didn't even know you were learning something, but you did know you liked flying that drone, right? So I suck them in like that, where it's like, let's do something you like. Now let me show you the technology angle to that so that you can go further with it. And now you can run a business that's related to the cruise ships that are coming in there all the time, where you can give people a virtual reality experience based on footage that you shot, right? And no one else can do that, right? Because it's shot from your local place with your drone and you did it better than anyone else. Uh, so it's things like that, just like, where are you at? And let me meet you where you're at, rather than telling you, well, you're gonna have to go to a four-year college before we can even talk. But forget that, no one's got time for that. You know, it's like, again, we don't even have running water. This is but Danny. That's, that's my philosophy. That is, that is incredible. I, the, the way you said, meet us where you're at, you developed a business right. off of an interest. A person yep. can take drones, they can fly, they take pictures, they aggregate the pictures, they sell it. That is amazing when you think about where we're at today. And yeah. where we can be at tomorrow, we always think right. that we need all this prerequisites. All this other, so, right. 
And the prerequisites are meant to keep you out, not to bring you in. So, I mean, I'm not trying to downplay the education. It's like, yeah, go do that, go do that. But when you present it to someone and say, you're gonna have to get through this barrier before you get any equity. It's like, that turns them off. They'll say, I can sell weed cheaper than that and be rich today, bro. So, you know, or even worse for me, it's like, I can be rich today. Boomer. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, you know, you, you have to meet people where they're at. They're just going to get bored and do something else. Right. And it also allows you, sorry, I'm running on, but no, it also allows you to leverage the skills that we have, right? It's like, well, why is it that Beyonce is so popular? Why is it the Stevie Wonder is so popular? Why, why are all these black singers so popular? Why don't we leverage our ability to tell a story and build on that? rather than leveraging our math skills or something like that, where someone else is good at, let's leverage what we're good at. You know, it's like we've proven it time and again. We're good at philosophy. We're good at singing. We're good at storytelling. Let's leverage that and build on that instead of trying to go towards something else. And let's just add a tech angle to it, right? Exactly, exactly. The way that you can take what you're good at and add a tech component, turn it into a business. Yep. And that business is creating the ability to create your own table, which creates the generational wealth. Right. Even uh, as you said, before we even talk about computers, can you even power the computer? You talked about that. And I, I, I think about how Elon Musk was uh, actually starting the ability to provide uh, internet capabilities. He was working with Microsoft, then transitioned to work with Google. And it's, it's interesting because you have one aspect, but you don't have the other aspect. The partner with another organization can now provide uh, access to all people around the world. And I think that's a start. It's a start. It's going to give the individuals around the world an opportunity to create that business based upon an idea. And that idea could be small, but adding that component, as you say, as you stated, is actually going to create that generational wealth. So great insight on that. Uh, I would really appreciate that. Yeah, and I also uh, just want to emphasize that not everyone has to become a programmer right. to have an equity share in tech. And I'll just give a, sh- a brief example. It's like you're in Nigeria, you're producing hip hop, rap, whatever. You just need to know that you can get on the Internet to sell it. Right. That's your tech angle, because people who cannot get on the Internet to sell it aren't going to make as much money as you because you can have a worldwide audience because you know how to sell it on the internet. So that's the tech angle, right? So equity, techquity does not mean everything one has to become a programmer because not everyone can. I mean, it's not for everybody. Uh, It just means that leveraging tech is the way to go, right? Because that's where the, that's the rising tide. Yeah. Take advantage while while this is uh, this is still relevant while it's still the most popular and fastest growing ability to j- create wealth. Right. Uh, everyone should take advantage of it. Now, I want to let our audience know a little bit something a little bit about you that's very unique and interesting as well. Is that while you were at Microsoft, you're one of the uh, individuals that, that were instrumental in creating and being part of the Microsoft Leap Apprenticeship Program. And this LEAP apprenticeship program was designed to help Blacks, women, and other underrepresented communities get technical jobs. The LEAP apprenticeship program was named Microsoft's DNI program of the year in 2020, with 98%, I want the audience to listen to this, 98% of the LEAP participants got a job with Microsoft or one of their partners at other 
high-tech companies. Talk about the success of this program because that is amazing. When people say, hey, we got people in the program, maybe we had 50% successful. 98% successful and it was the program of the year? That is yeah. amazing. Tell our audience a little bit about that. Yeah, well, first of all, we started in 2015. I mean, there was a precursor to it that I did in India in 2006 through nine, and then roll forward to 2015. And uh, it was just an answer to the question, how come we can't hire women and minorities? And I looked around and saw it's like, we're spending literally millions of dollars on what we call pipeline programs. It's like, hey, go to K through 12, this, that, and the other thing, blah, blah, blah. You want to hire them? Nope. You know, there's just this drop off. It's like, yeah, we got them K through 12. What happened after that? I don't know. <laughs> you know, they, just, they went somewhere. Uh, so I, I saw this disconnect and I thought, okay, it's this last mile that we're missing. There's plenty of talent out there that's women and, and underrepresented minorities. We just don't, our hiring processes just didn't have a mechanism for scooping them up, right? We look at top schools, top 15 schools primarily. We get interns from those schools. That's the college pipeline. If you didn't come through the intern pipeline, we don't know you, right? The other pipeline is industry. Well, you had to have 10 years of experience in tech for us to grab you from industry. So either you came from college or you had 10 years of experience or we poached you from somewhere else because you were some highfalutin talent. If you're not one of those three, there's no way in, right? So I just looked at that and said, well, that's silly because all the women and minorities are in between those cracks, right? So where are they? They're at coding academies, they're at community colleges, they're people who have degrees that are in different fields, or people that already had a career and they're switching. All right, so let's create an internship for them. And that's essentially the magic of the LEAP program is that we just said, all right, we need a 16 week long interview, essentially. And so it's like a month long of training in the classroom, let them teach you C Sharp and Visual Studio and what it means to be an engineer at Microsoft. Now you're in your team as an intern, if you will, um, doing actual work with an actual team, kicking the tires. They're kicking the tires on you. You're kicking the tires on them. And after 12 weeks, you know, if you make it, it's like, yeah, here's your job, yo. And if you don't, it's like, all right, maybe not Microsoft, but how about Amazon? And uh, the, the program was so popular that we would literally get a thousand applicants for 25 positions. So that's, that's kind of stacking the deck as to the success rate. You're getting the best of the best of the alternatives out there, right? Um, and now other people, it was so successful that other people are now like our own customers were, hey, can you run that for us, right? Can you white label this program so I can run it over here? Um, Amazon has a program called Leap, you know? And we went to them early on and said, if you guys do this too, we'll increase the size of the pie for everybody, right? Uh, Google is trying stuff like that. So now it's an industry thing. It's federally accredited and blah, blah, blah. But at the time, it was like, they got to meet the bar. And I said, forget the bar. We need to cast a wider net. <laughs> uh, yes. Right? We're not trying to keep people out. We're trying to scoop people in. So we cast a wider net rather than trying to raise a higher bar. 
You know, we're not lowering any bar. What bar? That's just code for you're not like me. <laughs> oh, my goodness. William, right. this is David. I appreciate you sharing about that work and the vision behind getting Leap going and to hear about the success and not just the success that is benefiting the Microsoft community, but to see that the other big hyperscalers were doing the same thing. Uh, yeah. I well, wanna, now they are. Well, <laughs> they now they are, yes. That's true. It starts with one, though. Yep. Uh, I want to ask you about something that you helped start, and it's called the event, the yep. EV, the number three NT, a collaborative community-based hackathon. Now, one of the members of our Black Channel Partner Alliance community down in Atlanta is doing this as a way to expose uh, some of the other partners in the greater Atlanta area uh, to expose their businesses, but also to expose this world of technology. We also have a company here in Baltimore that does an annual event that they do with robotics. And they're, they're trying to get these students and these organizations to come together. So there's other ways to expose technology. But talk about how this hackathon that you've helped fund it to kind of expose technology to solve critical world problems. Talk about this event and what it's produced, because it seems like an ex it's exciting because you're not just talking make-believe, you're actually putting in their real-world challenges and saying, let's go after finding different solutions. Talk about this hackathon that you helped to create, the event. Yeah, so it's just getting started. And it, the, the idea is, is this, you've got a community problem. You know, like, let's imagine in your community, you have too much... Um, too much plastic waste, all right? Uh, and this is a problem we have in the Caribbean. Uh, too much plastic waste and just not, you're just awash in plastic waste, right? Well, in your local community, you just don't know what to do with it. But it wouldn't it be great if someone showed up and said, you know what, I know some scientists, some chemists, some waste management experts, I'm gonna bring them to your community. And they're going to kind of give a little bit of a TED talk about waste management and chemistry and blah, blah, blah. But more importantly, they're going to, after the little TED talk, they're going, and I shouldn't be using the word TED at all. After the little talk, they're going to sit down with you and hack with you on solving this problem, right? And I'll give an example of the waste management for plastic. There's this process called pyrolysis. And pyrolysis is nothing more than heating stuff up in the absence of oxygen, all right? So just take all your plastic, put it in a barrel, put the lid on, turn up the heat. If you do that, the plastic will break down back into oil because that's where it came from. So it'll depolymerize, as they say, and turn back into oil, gas. It'll stratify into different kinds of uh, liquid and, and uh, gaseous things. That oil you can take and use, it's diesel basically. You can go and use that to power a generator. So you can take all your plastic waste and turn it back into diesel and power your generators. Now you've got electricity. So let's go back to that place where they're like, yo, we don't even have electricity. You got plastic, don't you? <laughs> let's turn that into waste, uh, into, um, they call it bunk fuel. Let's turn that into some diesel. Let's power some generators. Now you've got electricity based on the trash, right? So it's going into community and the community like that is like, okay, you may not have people who've ever heard of paralysis, but I bet you have someone in your community who's a welder mm. who could weld up a vessel, run some plumbing, turn on a fire. Now we've got a paralysis engine. Let's throw some plastic. I bet you have people who can pick up plastic, 
right? Now the, the equity angle to this is that community developed that thing, whatever, whatever it was, it could have been about food safety or whatever, or security. They developed that thing, they own it. They own the equity share, an equity share in that. Another community says, hey, we want one of those. Sure, we'll fashion you up one, it's $5,000. Now they're selling technology that they own, right? They have the equity share. It wasn't that Monsanto came in and said, oh, we've got the paralysis thing you can buy from us from $50,000 and we make all the profit. It's like, no, they came up with it on their own. They developed it on their own. They own the rights to it. If there's any patents, whatever. And we help them with all of that. It's like, let's set up your little company. Let's get you the resources you need. Let's make sure you don't get fleeced by someone else coming in and stealing your IP. You know, and let's hook you up to a network of people who want this technology, right? So that's what the event is about, like teaching a community how to serve for themselves and build their own business. So they don't always have to turn to someone else and say, we're going to give you all our money and you're going to give us not much in return, <laughs> right? That's the pattern for our community. So let's teach our communities how to not get fleeced and how to serve themselves so that they can actually have equity in what they build for themselves and share it with others and make money. William, this is David, and I love that. Thank you so much for breaking that down. And I love the whole idea. Let's look at what's available. How can we find solutions for this? Wait a second, yeah, plastic? Well, then you have a solution. Yeah, this is yeah. this is fascinating because we try to look for all the reasons why something can't work instead of the reasons why it can. Yeah, and how can we make it work? Exactly, I love right? that creativity. I've got to ask this interesting question. Maybe people don't know this about you, William, because you're so focused on advising, consulting, helping underserved communities, but you have some hobbies. If you're not tinkering <laughs> with bits and bytes, if you're not consulting leaders, you are a father of three, you're a husband, but what you enjoy doing, you love building cabinets. I heard you knit, which I'm like, I don't know how that combines with tech people, but you knit. Because I had a daughter and... who and I needed to keep her <laughs> occupied. <laughs> so, so, so let me ask you, what are the hobbies you get into? And you've already explained one of them, but you mentioned India earlier and you love riding motorcycles. So talk about what gets you going when you're not consulting tech thought leaders, when you're not pushing forth some of these initiatives. What, what are the things that you do to kind of help reset William Adams? Yeah, they're, they're typically very physical things, because if you've done any programming, it's a lot in your head. You're in your head all the time, right? And you're holding models in your head and you're, it's just a lot of thought work. So I find that to counterbalance that and not go crazy, I needed to do physical things. So woodworking is a very precise sort of thing where it's very physical. And I found it's closer to, um, some of it is similar to the precision of programming, but it's very physical and you end up with a, an actual thing, right? A piece of furniture or whatever. Uh, so I like that. I like, um, uh, for a long time, I was, uh, I wouldn't say professional baker, but uh, I was way into baking, you know, because baking is about chemistry and, but with subtlety because it's like, oh, well, to make this perfect bread depends on the temperature of the day and how much moisture is in the air as to how much flour you add and how old is that yeast, you know. And uh, so I, I like doing stuff like that because intellectually it's like, oh, well, this is like chemistry and that's like engineering. So, you know, 
but it's physical. You get to eat it at the end, you know, unlike programming. Um, and then there's other hobbies I do to be physically active because programming, you're sitting on your butt all day, right? It's like, this is how you, you lose your muscle tone and you know, how you get uh, just fat and lazy. So I have to go out and do bike riding or kayaking or running or uh, whatever. So I try to do a balance of things that are going to stimulate me mentally, like the woodworking and get my hands doing something other than typing on a keyboard. You know, I want some muscle memory like this, you know, hammering. And uh, I like gardening because you get to see something growing or digging in the dirt. The kids love it. And, um, and then the physical exercise, because you need to be, if you're going to do the mental work, which is really challenging, you need to be physically fit uh, or else you just can't do it. Right. So that's why my, my hobbies are just balancing you know, balancing my chi, <laughs> just trying to get a, a full coverage of things instead of just focus 900% on programming. That's not sustainable. This is Danny. And I think that everybody, as you specialize in life, yeah, as you work on becoming a master in your craft, yeah, there's a stating that if you do spend 15 minutes a day on one thing, by the end of 365 days, you will be more proficient and competent than 95% of the population on earth. Yeah. Can you imagine the power you would have if you just stay focused on your craft, which is what you've done over the years in technology. You've been so focused and so amazing that you are now able to give back to the community, create ideas, create programs, create initiatives to help other people as well. But that would never have been done. If you didn't sit down and perfect your craft, not only that, the fact that you have hobbies to give your opportunity to relax your mind, to enjoy nature, to get out. I believe those hobbies allowed you to have more enthusiasm, more energy, and more passion to perfect your craft even more. Yeah. And I want to challenge your audience. Please get out there. Get out yeah. there. And not, not only just go out for the bike ride. Appreciate nature. When's the yeah. last time you went outside after working so hard and just smiled because of what was put in front of you by nature? Yeah, that's and, that's, and that goes to your, if you have any particular religious or philosophical uh, perspectives, you look at a flower, for example, and just look at the pattern of what's in the center of a flower. It's like, God has some skills. <laughs> maybe I can use some, maybe I can learn some algorithmics from looking at this flower. And if you hold a really hard challenge in your head and you're just trying to solve this problem, you know, I just can't figure it out. You go out into nature, you get some fresh air, you see what nature is, what's being done in nature. And you go, ha, huh, inspiration might come, right? Because you just see the way God does it. And it's like, oh, wait, if that can happen, I can solve this. <laughs> you know, so yeah, I think it's good to just get out and look around and, and just admire and absorb the way the world works, the way the universe is, right? Exactly. Take, take, take the time this weekend, everybody, and go and just go online and look at magnification of nature. Look at the symmetry between animals, the butterfly, the wings. Look at the flower, as William was stating. Look at the flower. Magnify it. You're going to start seeing these patterns, and they're perfect. It is amazing.
And I think that's really phenomenal that when you're not working on your craft, you can actually go out in nature and you can actually take the time to appreciate that little flower because yeah. it's an amazing flower. When we think about tech equity, tech equity is leveraging the tech. Tech equity is, is the goal of empowering black and unrepresented groups to build wealth and agency by owning the table, by owning a stake in the technology development. We want to let our audience know, if you're excited and you're passionate, just like William is, we want you to, to get in touch with them. As David stated earlier, William, David, they talk to each other on Twitter. And we are excited about what he's working on, that we keep up with what he's working on. And it's exciting. So if you want to learn more about how you can create great opportunities because there's plastic around everywhere, mm-hmm. or you're interested in and you have a drone and you want to be able to fly from island to island, if you want to learn more about the exciting projects William is working on, reach out to him. His Twitter handle is at leap to tech And make sure you go to his website. Follow him, william-a-adams.com. William, my identical twin brother, David, and I really want to thank you for joining us on this amazing podcast and for sharing your story. I know we've only touched the surface of the amazing things that you're working on since you left Microsoft. And we know that their impact is great. We want to invite you back again because we know you have exciting stories that you want to tell our audience about that we didn't have time to get to today. But we want to thank you so very much for joining us. We appreciate you joining us on the Twins Talk It Up. Go make it a great day, everybody. Thank you for listening to the Twins Talk Tech Leadership. Please subscribe, download, and share this program. Learn about sponsorship opportunities and become featured on our program. Follow us on LinkedIn and other social media platforms. Be sure to also give our other program, Twins Talk It Up, a listen as well. We will see you next time in the next episode of Twins Talk Tech Leadership. Thank you.